0: what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hey, I'm Amy Chang, and I'm a nationally board-certified health and wellness coach, and this is Healthy AF. Here, we're going to bring to you all things health. You'll hear stories of people who have transformed their health and, in the meantime, transformed their lives. We'll answer those burning questions about the newest health strategies and we'll tackle some common roadblocks that my clients bring to me all the time. Lastly, we're gonna talk to some practitioners who will bring to you different modalities that they're passionate about and how you could benefit from using those. So buckle in. We're going to be inspired, instructed, and have a little fun with Healthy AF. Hey, everybody. It's Amy, and I'm here with my good friend, Ray. Hello, Ray.
1: Hey, Amy. Glad to be here.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being here. Just a little bit about Ray. Ray was born and raised in San, San Diego, California. He is a collector of knowledge and has a passion for teaching, coaching, and mentoring, which is where I got to experience Ray for the first time. He is a true polymath. I had to look that word up, and um, after I looked it up, for sure, he is a true polymath. Totally, totally precise there. Ray is interested in anything and everything. He collects cars and car parts, spoken languages, sports equipment, witty movie quotes, and dad jokes. Welcome to Healthy AF, Ray Regno. Thank you, Amy. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Ray, I wanted to start today. um, So, I read your bio, which is, you know, great. It gives people a snippet of who you are. And um, I wanted to just repeat for our listeners what I just said to you. The reason I asked you to be on is because you have been a mentor and coach of mine. And you do have a vast, vast um, depth and breadth of knowledge about randomness that I ab- absolutely love. And so I was like, who can I talk to on the Healthy AF Podcast? Who would be interesting? Who would be informative? Who would I feel super safe with? And um, Ray Regno came to mind. Aww. Yeah. So um, there's that. I'd love to start by just sharing your story with us, Ray.
1: Yeah. Um, where do you want to start? I mean, I've I'm 43 years old. Mm-hmm. I was born in San Diego. Yes, um, natives do exist. (laughs) Everyone's a transplant in San Diego. When you find someone who's actually born there, like, wow, you were actually Mm -hmm. born here? Yep. Um, I don't live in San Diego Diego anymore. Uh, I moved out when I was 39. Um, I moved to the Northwest. I live in Spokane, Washington now. Met a girl on Instagram, came up to visit her, and then married her like seven months later. Um, So I'm not really sure where you want me to start. Um, I've changed careers like five or six times Um, I like to learn everything and everything about everything. I I just feel like the more, you know, about the world, the more easily you can relate to people. And I think that's really, really something that, um, has made me effective as a coach and as a teacher is because the more I know about the world around me, the easier I can relate to someone that I meet. And it's funny, I'll, I'll learn things that I I wonder, like, when am I ever going to use this? And then maybe two or three weeks later, an opportunity will present itself where I can actually use that and connect with someone. And it's it's pretty cool. Um, Do you want to know about where I started as a coach? I want to stop Uh, sign
0: you right there because my little uh, German Shepherd ears are already like radaring in. Um, I love it that you go straight for the connecting with people. Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, Ray, that is you in a nutshell. You connect with people through so many different Avenues. And um, one of the first things I learned from you is would you like to have, would you like to be right or would you like to have right relationships?
1: Yeah. And I watch you
0: navigate through all of, I would say, not just your coaching, teaching, and mentoring, but all of your um, past careers with connection. So that's what yeah. I would love for you to tell us sort of your job history because I think that's an interesting, <laughs> curvy little path. It's not
1: linear. Yeah. Yeah. So my very first job, I was 17 years old. I worked at Claim Jumper. It was a restaurant. I was a host. And um that was interesting. Like I had just I we we would to that restaurant for lunch, and then my friend was working there. And I was like, Oh hey, I didn't know you worked here. He's like, Yeah. I'm like, you guys hiring by chance? He's like, yeah. So I got an interview, got hired on the spot that day, and then an hour later, I talked my mom into taking me to the car dealership, and we bought my first car because oh. now I had a job, okay, so it? I could actually pay for the car. So that was what cool. was your first car? Yeah. Oh, well, it was the, car the first you car mind. that I had as a high schooler was a 1983 Volvo that I did not appreciate back then because I grew up in the 90s and everyone wanted a Honda. Oh, yeah. Um, but the, the car that was mine, the, the car that we bought that day was a 94 Mazda 626. I was looking at a Honda Accord, but those were too expensive. And the 626 was sitting right next to it. So I said, well, this one's cheaper. My mom's like, okay. And so we bought that car and I tried to make it like a Honda Accord. Didn't really work out that well, but, um, that was my first car. The next job I got, I worked at the national dispatch center. Um, if you guys remember, if anyone's old enough to remember the nineties where they had those those pagers and you actually had to call someone to send an alphanumeric text. Mm. I worked as a call center. I walked to the call center and I'm pretty sure that I've talked to Mike Tyson and Lord Tariq and Peter Guns and all these people back in like I would literally sit there and I go, Hey, page Net Message Center. This is Ray. May I have the name or number of the person you wish to page, please? They give me the number. And they would tell me what they want to say. Like, okay, message reads, blah, 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 blah. I'll pick you up at 9 p.m. Is that correct? And then you just go through. And that's what I did before texting was a thing. But um, I I did my undergrad at, at UC San Diego. I got a degree in computer science. I worked at Qualcomm for a bit as a software engineer. And then a year into that, I wasn't really into it. So I tried a couple other jobs. And then in 2005, so two years after graduating from college, I quit engineering to go to Bible school thinking I wanted to be go uh, go and be a missionary and like travel the world and do that kind of thing. When I got out of Bible school, uh, I couldn't, well, I didn't go anywhere. I ended up getting another job as a as a software engineer for a year. And then after that, I got hired at the church thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm doing the pastoral internship program. So I was trying to be a pastor at the time. And I figured if I take this job at the church, um, managing their publishing department's website, I would be on campus, and I'd be more likely to get to do more counseling because mm-hmm. that's really what I was I was interested in. But it turns out it's easier to find pastors than it is to find an engineer who will work for $20 an hour. <laughs> uh, so I got roped into lots of stuff. So with the church, I was originally hired to work on their website, and then we laid off the publishing department guy. So I became the head of the pub- publishing department. Then we laid off the graphic arts guy. So I became the, I ran all the graphic arts. So all the printing for the, for the, for the bulletins, for all the flyers, for all of our um, basically anything that had graphic design, I oversaw that. And then we let go, we laid off the sound engineer. And then the assistant sound engineer became the, the the main sound engineer. And then the boss asked me, Hey, do you know anything about sound? I'm like, yeah, I used to run sound at my other church. So sure, they brought me in to do that. And then we let go of the lighting guy because he hits a car in the parking lot and just drove oh. off. So I became the lighting guy on top of that. And then one of the guys who, at church, I don't know if, if you go if you go to church or not, but like they'll put up the lyrics to the songs yeah. and there's like slides and yeah. stuff. So that guy moved to Idaho to plant a church. So I took his job. <laughs> and then um, on top of that, I learned how to do broadcast video. So like we had a, ca- we had a camera room where we, um, where people could, we had three cameras. We even had one of those big Jimmy jibs. You know, with like it's a camera on a on a crane that goes across the church and whatever. Okay. All right. I learned how to operate one of those. But the funnest one was I worked in the production room where I got to direct the different cameras. I go, camera one, I want a slow push on the drummer. Camera two, I want a slow pan <laughs> to the left toward the singer. Ready one, take one. And so if you ever watch like multi camera broadcast on TV or whatever. Yeah there's someone who does that job and says which camera to show, which camera to go, where they want the camera to look at. So I learned all of that. And I was also the only person on staff who could run the soundboard, run the lighting, run the lyrics all at the same time. Oh, wow. So I'm basically, I'm basically your Swiss army knife. If you need someone to fill a gap, Ray can do it. Cause I just like to learn and I like to be useful and I like to be helpful. Mm. Um, I did every ministry at that church except for women's ministry for obvious reasons. I'm just not, (laughs) not biologically set for that. So that's wasn't something that I did.
0: Although Um, I'm going to say right now you uh, mentor women very well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people in your mentoring group that I'm in are women and you do a great job with, with us.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Well, I feel like um, empathy is a big one. And I mean, we talk about, we talk about, I mean, biblically, we talk about how men want respect and women want love. And so you have to speak those languages with Mm. them. Women, they just want to feel safe. That's a big thing. Um, So yeah, I just try to empathize. But I did that for like, oh, how long did I do that for? I did that for 10 years almost. And then I realized I wasn't really doing what I was passionate about because I was really passionate about teaching. So, um, and I was just filling gaps, you know, I was being helpful and I was doing things that I can do, but I feel like my main calling in life is teaching. Mm-hmm. And so I told them, Hey, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm going to go move to the Philippines and take over one of our churches there. <laughs> so that was my next career move. I, I, I put, I said, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm leaving in a couple of months. Cause, um, the pastor that was one of my friends was a pastor in the Philippines and he had, Six biological kids, and while he was a missionary there, he adopted 20 20 additional Wow,
0: that is, I mean, speaking of a mother of just three, 26 children, that's a lot of children.
1: 26 children, and that was during the time when the economy took a tank. It just tanked, remember 2008? Uh, And so missionaries in our church, they were funded 100% by donation. So no one was, he wasn't able to support his family, so he moved back to San Diego to get a job. He actually took over the Bible school that I went to, and he became the head pastor for that school. And I was going to go to the Philippines and take over his church and plant another school there. Well, I got rid of my apartment. I moved. I like downsized all my stuff. I was lived. I moved back in with my mom for a short time, where I thought it was going to be a short time. And I'm about ready to leave for the Philippines. It's October 2010. And I just didn't feel right about it. So I asked Chaz, I said, hey, what do you think about me staying for a semester? I can help with the school. And he goes, yeah, that's actually a great idea. We need more leaders. I'm like, cool. So his plan was I'll teach for a semester. And then after the end of the semester, I was going to move to the Philippines. Well, one semester became two, (laughs) two semesters became three. And midway through my third semester, I was like, I think it's time to move on again. Um, And I was getting, I wasn't sure what that meant. And literally a few days after that, I find out, oh, back up uh, three years. In 2007, I helped my sister and her ex-husband start the Stronghold CrossFit and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And
0: and that was in San Diego.
1: That's in San Diego. For those who don't
0: know CrossFit history, that really was very early on in CrossFit. Because I know CrossFit Hickory mm -hmm. opened in 07. And um, like nobody knew what CrossFit was especially yes. over here like there were no games there were no double unders there was not a snatch or a clean and jerk it was you know yeah. it was flipping tires and running with wheelbarrows and nobody knew what the heck it was
1: yeah yep exactly okay. um we I think we're the fourth or fifth affiliate in San Diego and then if you go to the games you can go and they'll show you all the affiliates on a on a list and in 2019 we were affiliate number 166 huh And we're probably even lower now because a bunch of people have left. Yeah. So we're one of the original affiliates. Well, anyway, um, my sister was getting married and being a good big brother, I wanted to make sure she was taken care of. They didn't have credit, so I put my name on the lease for them so they'd have someone to co-sign. Well, fast forward four years. The gym is $15,000 in debt. They haven't paid rent in three months. Mike's cheating on my sister. Just a bad situation. And so, guess whose name's on the lease?
0: right Ragnar. Right
1: Mine. So, I had to make a decision. Am I going to shut down this business, or am I going to dig in and help? Well, I ended up dropping everything. Instead of going to the Philippines, instead of doing all this other stuff I thought I was going to do, I became a gym owner. Well, I was always a gym owner, but I was completely hands-off. I, I literally was there. I helped them open the doors. I helped them put stuff up, and I peaced out three weeks later. <laughs> And I think, I think it had been maybe four or five months since I've been in the in the doors of the gym, and maybe only once that entire year. Now, did you do any
0: kind of working out, or what? What was your fitness level back then?
1: Uh, I was dabbling in sprint triathlons. That's about it. But I mean, I was active my entire life. I was out on a bike, playing around, doing this, that, and the other. I wrestled in high school. I played lacrosse. I was, I did track. I was a cross country runner. Mm-hmm. The global gym stuff. So I was always into fitness. And what's ironic about it was that when I first started teaching at the Bible school, which was a year and a half before this time, I kind of got in my head like, hey, man, I own a gym. I might as well go help. Yeah. I got so busy because when in the Bible school, we would travel. I mean, we took our students to Poland. We went to Scotland. We went to all over the place. And so I was always gone. Mm -hmm. Um, But at this point, I mean... I jumped in to help out my sister and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I got my CrossFit level one certificate in, in November,
0: 2011. I can't believe then, that. You know, I got mine in 09.
1: Yeah. You've been, you've been a CrossFit trainer longer than what? me. Yep. Yes. I mean, I was completely hands off of the business for the first four years. And, um, in January of 2012, um, I'm here trying to re- rejuvenate this business. We had like 12 CrossFitters and maybe 15 Jitsu students and we're dying. And the, the the guy who was running the CrossFit program at the time, he was from New York and he didn't believe in giving people free classes mm-hmm. to try it out. I'm like, this is California. People won't do it unless you let them try it for free. And he fought me tooth and nail. And I said, no, I, I we got to do something. And so he's like, fine, let people try it. And then within a month, we had taken the CrossFit membership from 11 to like 40. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was hustling hard, trying to get people in the door. And then by April, we were doing pretty good. And, you know, the, the guy that was running our, our program, I'm still friends with him. But at the time, you know, he was really struggling. He was, he was kind of living on unemployment and it was running out. And so he needed to make money. And so he says, Ray, I need to make more money. And I go, I don't have any money to give you, man. Like we're, we're so, we're, we're still way behind on the rent. Like I, we could be kicked out at any moment. Yeah. And um, I I had to take a week off cause I didn't know what to do. And I came back and said, Hey man, I, I we can't do this anymore. Like I can't, I can't have you con- constantly like, like pressuring me to pay you. I don't have anything to pay you. I mean, I think w- what would be best is if we went our own ways, you know? And so he he left, took half the CrossFitters with him. Oh, half of shit. them stayed with me. That sucks. Yeah, and you know, with, with okay, including my level one seminar, and maybe the handful of classes I took when we first started the gym, I think I would attended maybe ten CrossFit workouts in my entire <laughs> life. And so here I am. I'm the head coach of CrossFit Stronghold in April 2012. And people are coming to class like, hey, a- where's Ace? And I go, "Um, we had to let him go. Like, we couldn't, we couldn't pay him anymore. And so people would either stay or go. And we literally split halfway down the middle. And he opened up his own gym about a mile away. We're still friends. I mean, we ha- it was kind of rough at first because he didn't understand. But he gets it now. I mean, we're It we're happens. Cool. Um, it, happens. it happens, you know? Like, it was business. It wasn't <laughs> personal. We were friends going into it. And I was like, hey, I- I'm sorry. But this is- we just have to. But um yeah, all that being said, I had 10 CrossFit classes under my belt and suddenly I'm the head coach of CrossFit Stronghold. Okay. And um I'm just grateful I didn't kill anybody cuz I literally had no business being a head coach of anything.
0: Okay, I <laughs> but, just um, and I love this because in our coaching mentoring group, there are so um there are so many things to be frustrated about when you look at um Anywhere, not just in CrossFit. I don't, you know, because you know me, I'm a huge fan of CrossFit. You know, I've done right. it for 16 yeah. years, and and it's for me like my lifeblood, right? Um, yeah. But there's such a variation on, I think, any kind of uh, trainer kind of
1: competency. Yeah.
0: That, <laughs> yeah. Across the board.
1: Hundred um, percent. I mean, and and
0: I just want to stop sign you here because I'm seeing this pattern too. Ray's, Ray goes places and he dives in and does the stuff that needs to be done. And he thrives on maybe learning where he has a knowledge gap. And all of a sudden you were the head trainer mm-hmm. and you were in your wheelhouse because your wheelhouse is learning and yep. then turning around and teaching and Communicating, because I'm really glad we did the recap of your sort of work history, because in all of that, it's communicating from being the host to, you know, IT is all about how systems communicate to each other, to help Mm -hmm. people communicate to each other, you know, to the pagers. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. I never made that connection before, but you're absolutely correct. Every bit of
0: it, right? And then your work at the church. Every bit of it.
1: I've never made that connection before. But yeah, that's that's fun the the texting thing. I mean, it makes total mm-hmm. sense now. But yeah, my whole life is about communication. It's about it's about um distilling a bunch of knowledge and then finding a way to make it meaningful for other people. Um that's one of the big reasons why I like to learn languages, because you have no idea how many times I've been around the world and gotten myself out of sticky situations because out of nowhere I speak the language out there, <laughs> you know? Um but yeah, um, But yeah, kind of going back to the the coaching thing, right? Um, I I was so ill-prepared for this situation, but I'm an obsessive person, and I just went and learned everything I could possibly learn about CrossFit. I became obsessed with mobility, this, that, and the other. I mean, here's another example, right? Um, Two years later, after I took over the gym, I tried for the first time to be part of the CrossFit level one seminar staff, and I biffed it terribly, Mm. like- if anyone who anyone who's gone to the CrossFit Level One seminar knows that the the squats breakout where they teach you how to do the air squat, the front squat, and the overhead squat, it's a lot of time. You know, it's actually it's slated to be fifty to sixty minutes mm-hmm. long, depending on how the timeline is going for the course. And um, when I did my first weekend, where I was actually, it was kind of like an it's like an on to the job interview where. They throw you in. They have you teach the oh things, and they want to see how well you. I didn't teach know it. they did
0: like on-the-job interview like that. I thought you had to get the job, then then mess up. No, no it, it <laughs>
1: you was to mess up before you it, got the job. Right. The system is better now. Like they're actually helping people, be, like set them up for better success. success. Better, yeah. But back then, it was just like sink or swim, dude. Yeah. Here you go you're teaching the squats. Wow. And so I taught the air squat, the front squat and the overhead squat. And I was finished in 21 minutes oh. because my, my eye for coaching was not, was yeah. not developed yet. I had these people who were pretty good movers and I was used to coaching people who were complete train wrecks So of course I could fix someone who was complete train rack. But when you have 10 people who are all relatively good movers and I am so inexperienced, I didn't see a lot of those things. And I look over at Todd Whitman, who was mentoring me that day. And I go, is there anything you'd like to add? He's like, absolutely, yes. <laughs> you are caving into your toes. You, your arches are doing this. You're in your, your, I don't even know what you're doing. You're not getting low enough. Your back's all whack. Your shoulder's doing yeah. this. And I'm standing there completely confused. Like, How in the world do you see all of that? Your little
0: mind was blown, What now?
1: I, I, my face was melting, is literally what's happening. I was just like, what is happening here? And I've actually heard in the past where interns would just be sent home immediately, like, like you suck, go home, don't even try again. And uh, instead, he was really kind to me. He goes, you know what? That didn't go so good. Let's try the presses and see if we can make some improvement. And I went through the presses. I, you know, I did okay. And the next day, he let me try again with the deadlifts. And at the end of the, the day, he says to me, you do a really good job of um, applying feedback. It's clear that you care about people. Mm-hmm. It's clear that you care about this, but I don't think you're ready. I'm going to recommend to Nicole Carroll and Dave Castro that you take six months and um, you try it again and see. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll see what happens. And during that six months, well, I took nine months to be thorough, mm-hmm. okay? During that time, I aligned myself with as many people as who would talk to me um and as many smart people as I could to try to learn as much as I could. I emailed Todd like every two weeks, like, hey, here's what I'm learning. Is this right? Is this down the other? I did my USA weightlifting. I started hanging out with Teresa Larson, who at the time was working for Kelly Starrett. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and started uh, helping out at PT clinics just so I can learn more about movement and mobility. Man, I dug in so hard just trying to Fix things and actually failing that first time was the best thing that ever happened to me because I realized that you don't know what you don't say
0: know. it louder for the people in the back, man. That you don't know, nugget.
1: you don't know, and if you think you know, you don't know anything because the more I learn, the more I realize there's more to know. You know, it, it baffles me. It baffles me that people go to the level one seminar and they go around saying, I'm level one certified, and it's like, no, you. Clearly missed that question on the test because there is no such thing as level one certification. I am sorry, you don't get to say you are certified till level three. Mm -hmm. But you get lots of people who who are like this, and you know they go to uh, it's the CrossFit level one seminar is two days, and most people will most people will retain what twenty or thirty percent of anything they, they learn at a seminar. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. stuff. You know know
0: what gets me? You know, I'm a visual learner. Okay. So I'm visual mm -hmm. kinesthetic. I can teach using my eyeballs and my hands. You know, I can like tap someone on the shoulder. But if you ask me to verbalize or God help us all read it and then write it down, <laughs> I, I know that when I started when I started crossfit and we finally put in the snatch and the clean and jerk which I think were probably around 2010ish maybe
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: um I could not remember which one was the snatch and which one was the clean and jerk I knew how to do them but I asked my yeah. coach I mean every time I was in there to the point where he was like "Chang I tell you this like every day" and I'm like I, it's, it's it's words man You know, if you just show me the movement, I'll be like, okay, that's what we're doing. So for me, when, when I got my level one in 09 and then they started having us do the written test in 11 and I had to go back two years post and uh, pass that test. I passed it, but I mean, it was hard because it's it's a written, it's a read and write test. It was a read and write Mm -hmm. test. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I think that a lot of trainers are similar. We're trainers because our skill does not lie in the reading and writing. It lies in the kinesthetics um, yeah. and that way of learning. So that's always been my beef. And then when I did my level two for the first time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, man, I thought that I was really good because, you know, I'd been doing this a long time. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um. That level two humbled me, which was fantastic because um, just what you said, you don't know what you don't know. And when you have an opportunity for that lesson to be laying in your lap, hey, you didn't know what you didn't know, boy, that's a nugget to hold on to.
1: Yeah. And I think the truth, I think the the main reason why people don't dig in to continue learning is A lot of people don't like to be challenged. A lot of people don't like to be told they don't know what they're doing. That's a real thing. You know, it takes, it takes, it takes courage to be vulnerable. And I feel like that's just, that's just something that is, it's hard for people to do that.
0: Yeah, definitely. When you identify a knowledge gap, you've got to feel pretty sturdy in who you are to look at dead in the face and go like, oh, there's a Mm -hmm. spot that I've been blind about. You know, yeah. And and embrace it and, and even find some joy. Some joy in that. Like I find a lot of joy now. Um, I didn't find joy in not know in fact I'll tell you this. Um, when I first switched, I was in a I was at the cat working in the Cath lab as a nurse and um, I switched to a surgical ICU. And I'd never been in a surgical setting before. I've been in, I had been in cardiac medical settings, not cardiothoracic surgeries or anything. So I go up to the surgical ICU and I am doing my precepting or whatever, getting my orientation done. And it came time for like that six-week check or three-month check or whatever. And um, the feedback that I got from my nurse manager that my um, nursing preceptor had written about me was like, she's a know-it-all. And um, you know she really doesn't listen. And man, that was—I know that was a good—that was a good time for 27-year-old Amy to like take a minute and reflect because you know I—I I, and I was a badass nurse in my own right. You know, I'd been um, in major hospitals. I'd been at John Hopkins. I'd been in ICU areas. I'd been in procedural areas. I'd worked with death and dying. I, you know, like. I was everywhere and I knew yeah. a lot of stuff and um none of that stuff helped me be humble and vulnerable enough to learn more stuff.
1: So Yeah, you know they say um they say that smooth seas don't make a strong sailor. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always it, it seems like for me I I never get it right the first time. No. <laughs> I've never been that person that gets it right the first time. And I always fall flat on my face, but I've gotten used to that. And I actually look forward to that in a way because it, it makes you better. I mean, on the side, for example, um, I have a D I have a YouTube channel where I work on cars and I DIY and I do that stuff. And every single time I do something that should take 10 to 20 minutes, it takes me eight hours, (laughs) Uh, but you know what, that, that messing up or, you know, mm -hmm maybe the thing is rusted on or whatever, It has actually made me a better mechanic because if everything was always smooth all the time, it would, you wouldn't really know a whole lot. And now I've accumulated a lot of really cool tips and stuff. So when something comes up, I go, Oh, I know how to do that. This, that, and the other, yeah. you know, that's just, I think it's, it's funny to me, like watching a lot of my students, I call them students because I'm teaching them, even if they're athletes. Um, I, I my students often want to just be told exactly what to do, but I don't do that with them. <laughs> I'll I'll give them like a general guideline, hey, do this. And then I want to see what they do by default. And then from there I coach what's in front of me. It's a mistake, and I've I've seen this a lot in in gyms, is that everyone wants to standardize coaching. There's actually one group in particular that comes to mind. They want to standardize every freaking thing. They say, "Hey, if you have a shoulder impingement, do this," and I go, "That might not. That might help you. It might make it worse." The answer is, it depends. Always. Everything in life. They ask you a question. Well, it depends. Give me more context, please. Because you just say, "I oh, the thing that bugs me most. I have an Mm -hmm. impinged shoulder. What does that even mean? Like, do you know what impingement means? Like, there are a lot of people who don't really like. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means." You know, and it's that situation. So when someone comes to me with a shoulder pain, I go, I need to know exactly where it hurts, what part of your shoulder. Because your shoulder has yeah. different, like the anterior, the lateral, the, the rear. Does it hurt when you go overhead? Does it hurt when you press? Does it hurt when you hold it to the side? Like, give me more context, please. Like, I can't, and I need to see you move on top of that. Because there's so many variables that could lead a different path but to have just a one, one size fits all, this will fix your shoulder. That's, that's dumb. Yeah. But the truth is that a lot of people ha- for a lot of people having so many options gives them anxiety, you know, yes,
0: no, they I, don't I, know what I, to do with it. You know what? I started coaching someone the other day in my health coaching business. Okay. Not in the mm-hmm. CrossFit gym, but in my health coaching business. And it, And it dawned on me after a couple of sessions that they didn't know what they liked and they didn't know what they wanted.
1: Oh, yeah. And that made my
0: job really hard because Mm -hmm. then they wonder why they are not doing what they say they're going to do. And it's because it has no connection to what they want.
1: Because they don't know
0: what they want. They're used to people pleasing or straight up being told and just doing it to stay out of trouble themselves, stay safe, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And and that gets real dicey because if you don't know what you want and I do find that we get like that with our bodies, too. So let's just um, okay, let's rewind the tape and then fast forward. So. You have your level one and you've got the gym and your coaching classes. Then you go try out for uh, seminar staff. Don't make it. Take nine months to completely do the ray dive into <laughs> the depths of all things CrossFit. Yeah. Come back. Some point you get your level two, your level three CrossFit, and you're on seminar staff teaching level one and level two seminars for yeah. other trainers.
1: Yeah, so actually, um, I got my level two in 2013, and that was actually when I just dis- when it blew my mind, it changed my life. I was like, "Wow, there's more well, to it this." Wasn't, like, the level two one just, was just-
0: it was crazy town. Like, I really went from I coach people because I like coaching people. To like, no, I'm committed that every single person has better movement patterns every single time I see them, and that their hour with me is the best hour of their day. And if that's not what I'm living in, then I'm not coaching.
1: Yep, that was that was it for me too. Like I went to my level two, and I remember there are three things happened. Okay, so I went to my level two, and I realized at that seminar that this is what I want to do. I want to teach trainers. So at that seminar, I had Adrian Bosman, I had Miranda Oldroyd. And I asked them, hey, what do I need to do to be on seminar staff? And they said, hey, just email us, we'll we'll get you set up so that you can you can you can try to intern. And that was the old process of becoming on staff. So that was number one. Number two, they taught me, um, you need to be relentless, more relentless. Mm-hmm. So I went home and I and I was more relentless. I was making sure people were doing what we're supposed to do, we're practicing mechanics, consistency, intensity which is a primary tenet of CrossFit. If you've heard that CrossFit hurts people, you're, that, that gym where they're hurting people, they're not actually doing CrossFit because CrossFit's not meant to hurt people. We're supposed to do the, the movement correctly. We're supposed to do it correctly with consistency and then we add intensity. If they're not following that tenet, they're not actually doing mm. CrossFit. So that anyway, that was number two. The third thing that really stuck out to me was I wish that there was something that coaches could go to after they went to their level two, where they can continue to practice what they learned at the level two. So we can talk about that later, but that was the precursor to my current mentoring program is I've created that environment where people can't continue I didn't to know that after. that
0: was why you did what you did. And, and that's stellar because yeah. I'm telling you as the only level two trainer in the gym, you go back and everybody's level one and they yeah, don't know what they don't, they don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're exactly. You are the
0: salmon swimming upstream, upstream, or the you know the unicorn horn, you know, trotting around with your rainbow shooting out your butthole, and people are like, "Yes, you need to stop." <laughs> you know, yes. you are on everyone's yes. nerves now um, because yes. you are relentless. Yeah. You know, the trainer, you know, that you were the week before, who was like, "Yeah, that looks good." No, you come back, and it's like a honey badger, um, and I tend to co- overcoach anyway. So that was for me also yeah. one thing that you really helped me with was you cannot overcoach someone, they shut down and don't get what you're saying.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, we can go down lots of rabbit holes from this point. I know, on. Right. But um, but yeah, so at that, so fasting, fast forwarding. I um, got my level two. That's what inspired me to start my mentoring program. That's what inspired me to to try it out for seminar seminar staff. And it inspired me to become relentless. And let's finish, Let's start on that point. I went home and I was so relentless that that people that people were just. I, we joked that I would crush people's souls, you know, because <laughs> it's never good enough for Ray, yeah. you know. There was there was one time where I said something complimentary to a client, and they said, "Oh my God, what day is it? What time is it? Is the moon in alignment? Where is Saturn right now?" Because Ray just said something nice to me and I go, oh boy, that, that, okay, that. So I, th- at that point I started to learn like, crap, I need to balance yeah. out my affirmation yeah. with my, with my criticisms, you know? Um, but yeah, I didn't. So when I tried on, I tried out for level three, oh, sorry, for seminar stuff, I failed the first time. I tried again in nine months and that was the same time when I was also hired on to, to the Bergner strength team. So teaching Olympic weightlifting with coach Bergner.
0: What an opportunity right like stops on right there. Ooh. Holy mackerel. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so that was a big year for me. 2014. I think it was, is when I got on staff. Um, and the level three happened because a level three had just been released literally right after I got hired. Mm-hmm. And they told us, if you want to remain on staff, you all need to get your level three. So that became the, the gold standard. You have to be at minimum a level three to be on seminar yeah. stuff. So that's when I got my level three. Um, where do you want to fork from here? Do you want to talk about relentlessness? You want to talk about the mentoring program? Do you want to talk about? Hmm.
0: Let's um, let's s- switch gears. Well, yeah, let's switch gears because most of the people who listen to this podcast, I think, are not trainers. They're normal people. So um, just to wrap that conversation, Ray, you and I met in, I think, 18 or 19, maybe 19.
1: I think it was 18. 18. Yeah, 2018.
0: Um, Because I was looking at possibly studying for my level three at the time. And it it may still be this way. was sort of more like a self-study. You just go and learn some stuff using what's my Achilles heel, uh, reading and writing stuff down. And then you take a written test. And so Uh I was like, okay, this will never happen on my own. And, um, spoke to Jordan Finlayson about it. And he hooked me up with Deb, Deb bachelor and Deb and I were going to have a study group. And then that just didn't happen. And Deb hooked up with you. And so I followed Deb and popped in this, this group, this mentoring group, with you. Then we went down to Florida and you ran your own movement workshop, which was Mm -hmm. amazing. Like from STEM to Stern, all the other trainers were amazing. You were amazing. Um, it was sort of a wackadoodle time in my personal life. And so I was vulnerable and, uh, ready for the learning. So that Mm -hmm. was awesome sauce. Um, And I just want to, before we leave this, so, so that's what you do. You have stronghold mentoring and it's coaches need coaches and Mm -hmm. it's a great place to go and deepen your knowledge about anatomy, about running a class, about the, it depends for all people and all, you know, classes every time you know it's never the same answer it's never the same exercise and just growing that toolbox as a trainer of all things training (laughs) really yeah um and i just want i can't leave this this section in our history without saying uh three things. A, I noticed in your story, you went from, yeah, I'd interned for the um, staff and my eyeballs weren't trained and I didn't see anything to, I became relentless (laughs) and um, it sucks people's souls, crush people's souls. And then Michelle Gallagher is the one that comes to mind because consistently um, Michelle's another trainer and consistently when uh, we do the videos and we look at we look at people moving, right? So people from CrossFit mm-hmm. videos will video their people, send it into our group, and we'll sort of like train our eyeballs to be relentless, right? That's our job. Yep. And um, I am very good at going straight to what is wrong and doing the overcoach and the crushing of souls what I learned from her, she consistently says what she likes first. Yeah. And I'm always like, oh, damn it. I forgot to do that again. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So all things coach from the, how to compliment sandwich it to how to manage a class of 25, where you got proficient squatters and horrible squatters and, you know, how to, give the whole class what they need.
1: Yeah. And you think, I think too, I think one thing you'll notice too, in my coaching over the last three years, especially, and I've talked about this a ton in our coaches mentoring program. And I say it a lot. Now, every time I coach a seminar is that 99% of your job as a coach is the peopling part. Mm. The technical part is just sort of the icing on the cake. I mean, cause if you think about it, right. There's a lot of CrossFit gyms out there that are successful by just coasting on personality and community. Yeah. It, it's a sad reality, but most, I would venture to say it. A lot of CrossFit gyms out there don't actually do CrossFit. <laughs> and a lot of CrossFit gyms out there, they don't, the coaches don't actually coach because their skill is so bad that they, they, they don't have the skills to coach, but these places are successful because of the personalities and because of the relationships and the community that is there. And, and, People are, people want interaction. And for me as a, as a coach, especially now, like where I, where I work now, I don't own the gym I work at now. I'm the only level three, the only active level three in Eastern Washington. Mm. Um, and the gyms out here are okay. But like, again, the coaching isn't like, it's not super stellar. It's okay. It's, It's some, in some, and some coaches are good, but. That being said, like I have to really water down my coaching in order to sort of blend in yep. and also to not get frustrated. Yep. <laughs> you know, like I get a lot of people who come to my mentoring program. Mm-hmm. They get so frustrated because they work at gyms where they can't even apply the stuff I teach them. Yep. And I go, you know what? It doesn't matter. You just go be there and you mm-hmm. sprinkle where you can. Yeah, you always come to And sprinkle. you like, I have to remember you that. make small wins yep. here and there. and And nowadays, like it's amazing how much I hold back. Yeah, (laughs) you know like we actually taught a seminar here in spokane last weekend and my students i had two interns that are helping me and they both are like wow why aren't you laying into them i'm like because they're not ready for that and i learned that from watching coach bergner okay so we talked about coach bergner coach b is what is by far one of the most generous human beings i've ever known in my entire life and i used to travel i only when i was in san diego i only lived 20 minutes away from him but my gym was 40 minutes in the opposite direction. So I would drive 40 minutes down to my gym on a wen- every Wednesday, and I would drive back home plus another 20 minutes towards his house to watch him coach, and then I'd drive back to my gym again to finish the day. And um, one of the things I learned watching him was just how gracious he is when he coaches people. Mm-hmm. That man is so deep. He is so deep, but he doesn't let on that he's deep. He'll tell you that he's a dumbass. He's a dumbass (laughs) Marine. That's what he says. I'm a dumbass. I don't need anything. But, you know, like I'll be sitting with him and he'll come out of left field with this, this like massive knowledge bomb. I'm like, coach, where did that come from? But here's the thing is that he knows when to dose and how much to dose. That's the mark of a great coach. Because when I went home the first time back in 2012, after, or 2013 after, wow, that's 10 years yeah. ago. <laughs> 10 years ago, when I first got back from my level two, I just firehosed everybody. Mm-hmm. Just here, here's a fire hose of You're everything. Safe. And even up until like last year, every seminar I worked at, I would just hose everyone because I was like, they need to know all this. And I'm getting to a point where I'm realizing that, no, they don't really care what you know. They care that you care first. Mm. And then what I do, what I need to do is I need to just give them enough to keep them coming back, but not so much that they don't want to come back. Cause you, we've all worked with those people. And usually it's kind of a joke in the, in the, in the church ministry um, community. It's like when people go to seminary, it's like going to cemetery. Cause they come back all holier than now and this, that, and the other, and no one wants <laughs> to be around them because they're like the actually person, you know, actually it says this, da, da. like, gosh. And you know, trainers are the same way. Yeah. People who've paid a little bit for education, they come back and they're the actually person. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you gauge what that person is ready for and you give them what they're ready for.
0: Yeah.
1: That's coaching. Like even, I tell the story all the time. My members, they come in the door. I'm assessing them the minute they walk in. I'm assessing their body (laughs) language, how tired they look, uh, all the things. And then I decide within a few minutes, I go, okay, Jen is going to get me at an eight today. (laughs) Haley's getting a seven. John always gets me a nine. He's pretty consistent. This person gets me at friendly. They don't want to be coached. They just want to sweat. Yeah. They don't care about anything. My role is just to not let them die. Yep. You know, and so that's that's it's put on the I safety the standard. Thing. It's, Say that it's again? Put on Sorry. the safety
0: standard. I've done the same thing. Like yep. gone to, gone up to somebody. Clearly, they really wanted to work hard in their workout. Clearly, mm-hmm. their technique on their snatch was blowing. Um, were they at a weight, uh, that was going to injure them? No. So I just said, you know, I've got some ideas on your snatch technique. If you would like them. No, I do not. Okay, great. Let me know when you'd like them.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: You're exactly right. Like the peopling, that's the 95%. That's like the door and the technique instruction is like the package, And the package can't be, uh, can't go through the door unless the door gets opened. So unless your peopling skills are on point that day. You're not going to get the technique in there at all. So the other thing I thought of, by the way, is just uh, this week I walked into my CrossFit that I'm working out at CrossFit Reignited down here in Wilmington. And I was watching an interaction between some of the more elite athletes, and uh, I don't know what the first person said, but the girl s- looked up at him and said, You know, words hurt, and you're hurting my feelings. <laughs> and, oh, wow. I was reminded of, you know, like you do, you have to read what the person is in the gym for that day. And sometimes they're in the gym that day to pull their shit together. And sometimes they're in the gym that day to be like super focused and see all their buddies and you know, whatever, and happy go lucky. And so, um, it was a little quiet over there in that little corner and I was putting my stuff away and she walked over to where I was putting my purse up and I looked at her and I said, you know, I said, one day back in 2010, another trainer came up to me and said, Chang, you're just not competitive enough. When I was struggling on my deadlift and I broke a door that day. <laughs> and he oh, just looked at me and said, thank you for that. Um, because it really, when you're coaching, you really do have to read what does that person need and want from me right now? Yes. And sometimes all they want to do is just come in and crank out as hard and safely, you know. If you put the safety barrier on them, you know, as they can because they've had a bad day.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a member I can think. I I think of this story all the time. Kristen, she's um, she was she. We we're doing deadlifts one day, and I sort of noticed when she walked in the door, she was kind of not her chipper no. self. She's usually super friendly. And uh, we're doing deadlifts and I, you know, I do my little head tilt. And I look and watch her deadlift. And then she stops and looks up at me and she says, you don't have to watch me today, Ray. And I go, okay. 2014, Ray would have been offended. Mm-hmm. Well, what did I do wrong? Why don't, to, why don't you want me to watch you? But 2020, Ray knows that she's a forensic scientist for the police department. Probably had a gnarly call that day did not need me to critique and pick apart her lift at all. She just needs to blow off steam and feel mm-hmm. safe. So what does Ray do for the day? He changes his role, his role. And my goal is for just to have Kristen leave with a smile on her face. I'm making jokes. I'm doing this. I'm making her feel safe. And she left happy. Mm. So 2014 Ray was not ready for that. 2014 Ray was, it's my way, or the highway, you're going to do it my way or or, or not at all. And, the truth is that as coaches we need to be constantly evolving. And that's a really, that's a huge struggle for me because like I said, I teach the CrossFit level one, level two. We get people who've been coaching for 15 years, come back to their level two. And some of them, it's their first time taking the level two. They've taken the level one three times. Mm. And in 15 years, they have never been told that they suck at coaching. Yeah, they, they, I go, all right, teach a squat. 90 seconds later, they're done. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> this person's doing this, this, that. And like, oh, well, it's this, this, this. And they're just completely resistant. Don't yeah. want any feedback. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pour where it's not going to be received. So there's no point in that. But at that, by that point, it's kind of like, well, why are you coaching in the first place? Like it, it is a, a real struggle for me to look on Instagram you know, because you just see, I mean, the fitness industry in general is run, is is inundated with a bunch of, you know, so-called experts who who a lot of them really have no business influencing anybody. You know, a lot of the fitness industry is just based on what people look like. Just because someone looks a certain way doesn't mean they know anything. Yeah. And that's a real struggle for me. And a lot of people that that are out there coaching, they have maybe a one weekend seminar underneath their belt how can you possibly know all the things that you need to know to make people move better from a 16 hour seminar? Yeah. How? So this is, how? this is the
0: spot that I get to with a lot of my people. You know, a lot of my coaching clients will come to me, you know, CrossFit clients are different and they come to me for different reasons, but, but health coaching clients come to me and a lot of times they used to have a workout program when they were, you know, 25, 35. Now they're 50 mm-hmm maybe they've had injuries, maybe they've had, you know, wildly successful jobs, which is great, but it's eaten up their time, their health has gotten away from Mm -hmm. them. And what they've done is watched Instagram this or, you you know, little snippets here and there. And uh, Mm -hmm. it is very overwhelming to sort of sift through what information is is fitting for their fitness level for their modification. You know, I've got a a client now, uh, and I've had clients in the past, you know, when you come in and you're 100 pounds overweight and you're carrying that weight in your front, the front half mm-hmm. of your body, you know, um, burpees, mountain climbers, push ups, planks, uh, anything that requires you to lean into that frontal plane and come back needs to be modified. And um, that needs to sort of happen a lot of times on a person-by-person-by-person basis. And if you're scrolling Mm -hmm. through Instagram and trying to start yourself up by looking at those posts, my question to you is what advice would you give to a person who wants to start up uh, their fitness game again and they're inundated with all that information? How do they sort through what information might be good for them to follow it and what information might be good to just pass up.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really hard one. And that's my biggest frustration with the fitness industry is that it seems to me that the people who scream the loudest or look a certain way are the ones who get the most attention. um, But they're not necessarily the best resource, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here's here's a tangent for you. But I remember Jillian Michaels was on the biggest loser and then they had a CrossFit segment. And they had her doing box jumps and other couple of things, and she's like the least athletic person I've seen move ever. But yet she's supposedly some fitness professional, and she's made millions of dollars. And it's like, and she's telling people that CrossFit's bad. And I'm like, what? Mm. My favorite CrossFit athlete, and um, and then I'll answer your questions. My long-winded answer to <laughs> your question. My my favorite CrossFit athlete was Heston Wilson. He was the owner of the building that my gym was in. I'm grateful to him that he didn't kick me out. But I used to train him every day at his house um, for like three months before he died. And within a month and a half of training with him, he was able to go to the bathroom unassisted for the first time in two years. Can you imagine giving a man the dignity to go take a dump by himself without his caregiver's help for the first time in two years? His wife looks at me and she goes, I can't believe you you helped Heston walk again. Mm. Because and we did Fran every single time we I went to PG, his house. Did you really? We did, and for those of you guys who don't know, don't do CrossFit. Fran is basically where you take a barbell, you hold it in front of your your chest, you do a squat, then you push the bar over your head, and it's usually twenty one reps of that. Then you do twenty one pull ups, then fifteen thrusters, fifteen pull ups, nine thrusters, nine pull ups. Well, Heston couldn't do thrusters because he's in a motorized chair, so his thruster was. I'd put his walker in front of him. He'd push himself off of his chair and stand up and hold himself for a second. Mm. And then he'd throw a ball at me. And he did as many as he could in 30 seconds. And then I gave him a little band and he'd do pulls, kind of like a pull-up. And he did as many as he could in 30 seconds. And he did three rounds of that. So about six or seven minutes of work. And all that that's all he needed, really, to just kind of develop his strength again to go to the bathroom without assistance. What a gift. That's what CrossFit is to me. Yeah,
0: that's what CrossFit is to me, too. It's the creativity. And people say, like, do you do CrossFit? You do CrossFit? I'm like, yeah, I've done CrossFit for 16 years, which means some of those months of CrossFit were me laying on the floor doing pelvic pelvic floor therapy while I watched all my other friends and athletes do their, you know, heavy lifting. Some of those months were like I was out for three weeks while I did the school auction. Some of those times was, you know, like – It feels like the most random dumb stuff that is CrossFit, that creativity, Mm -hmm. like hella heads up to creative trainers. I had a creative uh, role modeling trainer. You're a very creative. I'm a very creative trainer. If, um, if you don't have a good way to modify about 56 different modifications for that one movement, then that's a problem, you know? so okay, so go ahead.
1: Yes, yeah, so going back to your original question is how do you weed through all the noise? Okay, you find the trainer that you can sense is going to be good at modifying. Because mm. if you've been out of the game, if you've been out of fitness for a really long time, it's really easy to fall into the trap of I need to do more. Yes, and it's like no, that's absolutely not the truth. I have a, I have a, I have a client right now that I've been, pro, I've been coaching for remotely for over a year now. And he's had some respiratory issues, you know, and he hasn't been able to work out. I'm looking at his as it is his log and he maybe works out once a week. And the other day he comes to me and says, hey, can you start programming 40 to 50 minute sessions <laughs> for me again? And I go, OK, well, here's the thing. I've been giving you 15 to 20 minutes of work trying to get you consistent again. But I've only seen you do one of those workouts a week for the last two months. So let's get you back. Consistent. I want you three days a week doing 10 to 20 minutes a day for a few weeks, and then we can talk about increasing your volume. For people who have been out of it for a long time, my number one piece of advice for you is to find a coach who knows how to modify for you and is not gonna murder you your yeah. first day. You
0: should to slow down. Like
1: yeah, I would much rather you do 10 minutes of work today and feel ready to come back tomorrow and do it again. Mm-hmm then to feel so obliterated. I don't see you for another month. Yeah, no.
0: I just gave my client um, uh, three workouts to do in the next week. Mm-hmm. Right, six minute imams. That's it. That's all. That's you need. It. Um, it, it. They're they're coming back from being sedentary for I don't know how many years. Yeah. You know, like take the win, man. Take the win.
1: Exactly. Get
0: the six minutes exactly. in. If you have twenty seconds of work and a forty second rest for 6 minutes. Okay. We'll do more next week. Cool. But we don't have exactly. to like, you know, and and I think some of what if I could tell people like hey, you know, save yourself if you're 40, 50 years old. Maybe maybe it's different when you're 25 to 20 maybe eight but sure, in the 30s, yeah. depending on your body size, how active you are in your job or, you know, are you a stay at home mom chasing a toddler or are you a computer programmer sitting down all the time? Are you drinking craft beers? Mm-hmm. Are you 50 pounds overweight? Are you, you know, like even in your 30s, like, dude, you hit it hard. You're going to have a sore knee. You're either going to have a torn yep. something or you're going to have a sore something that's going to put you back. So like yep. ease in. And, and, and yep. you know what? You said this to me like last week, and I've been thinking about it all week. And it's something that Bergner, Coach Bergner told you. And that was um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast.
1: 100%.
0: And I have thought about that all week because last week I just did too much stuff. I had a coaching session with my business coach and I had a coaching session with my health coach on the same day. And that set me up to like go into overdrive and overshoot. And I overshot my workouts. I overshot my dietary changes. I overshot my business plan. I overshot everything. I was exhausted and just done for at the end of that week. And um, when you said that last week, I was like, oh, I just did, the, uh, did to my life the um, equal of well, jerking a heavy weight off the floor with no mm-hmm. technique and no patience and no, you know, no forethought, just jerk it up. Instead of like, no, slow down, take a breath, be intentional, di- tap into that, deep, that deepness and go s- slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if you try to treat every day like a sprint, you're going to burn out really fast. So true.
0: Okay. Well, I think that's the best advice we could give anybody who's looking to get back into their fitness in whatever capacity it is, whether it's just uh, hitting a Globo gym, you know, doing the curls for the girls, or whether it's picking up dance or... Um, Rollerblading or crossfitting or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, just do it consistently. Start there, and then once you've done it consistently, then maybe an additional challenge. But for a lot of people, just getting off the couch is a challenge enough. So celebrate the wins. Don't move the goalposts. That's a really that's a hard one for people. Like, well, I didn't do this. <laughs> like, I don't care. And it kind of goes back to that story I was telling about Coach Bergner before. What I learned from Coach Bergner watching him coach people is he will notice a million different flaws, but he will only focus on one of them. And then from e- for every rep after that, he goes, I just want you to focus on this one thing. And I don't care if you screw up everything else. I'm not even going to look at that. And he is so lavish with his compliments. When you do the thing right, he's like, yes. Even if you didn't make the lift, as long as you did the thing he asked you to do, yes, that's outstanding. Now let's try it again. I don't care that you mislift. lift. I don't care that your foot did this. I don't care that you did this. I asked you to keep your head up. You kept your head up. Cool. And so it's really easy to get overwhelmed and want to quit when there's so many variables that you can mess up. So do yourself a favor and pick one thing. Let that be your win. Choose one win a day and focus on that win. And then maybe let's make it consistent for a month. Can we get that same win every single day for a month? And then when you've got that consistency, let's add another thing. Then and now, it's, it's it's the long game. It's not this hustle to get everything right at, for at once. That's how people get overwhelmed and click. Yeah,
0: I feel like you're coaching me right now. <laughs> I feel like Ray just took a moment to look through the screen into my soul and be like, "Slow down, little girl. Hang on. Just just have, slow your roll." Because
1: one thing at a time. Slow is
0: smooth and smooth is fast. Yep. So, well, thank you so very much for um, popping on my very first um, healthy Amy and Friends podcast. And uh, how can if a coach wants to interact with you or if a client maybe is looking to just get some guidance or some remote programming or any of the things that you do in your communicating life, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, easiest thing is to reach out to me at Ray Regno on Instagram or rayragno at gmail.com
0: okay and we'll have that um stuff listed in the show notes too so it's been a pleasure ray and i will see you i think we have a a class friday so tomorrow yep
1: see you tomorrow okay
0: i will see you tomorrow thank you so much
1: thanks amy you've been listening to the mesh